0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sports Day Insider, presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Evan Grant and David Moore. We're all hunkered down in our bunkers. Uh, I guess everybody stayed warm. Nobody froze to death. Everybody's good. Evan, everybody's good at your place? Uh, Good's
1: kind of a relative term. (laughs) Alive and well. Are you alive? Yeah, we're fine. I, the uh, you sound indifferent. The constant um, adding and subtracting of layers of clothes here is is that's how I am getting my exercise in this week.
0: Wow, that's what what an awful life you have!
1: It really and
0: is. I tell you, I, I can't imagine anybody having to put up with that kind of thing. Well, between running
1: running up and down the stairs to get clothes and. Yeah, let's, let's just forget about me. Yeah. The less said about me, the better.
0: <laughs> David, is everything going all right at your place? Is there something awful like having to put on extra clothes? And well, take one, those I clothes second off? what
2: Evan said. Let's let's not talk about Evan. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm just wondering, has, has Ericot issued a warning saying that we can't do this podcast because they need to save energy and it may go down now? Yeah, I, 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 I do Did love right how it's on? like, yeah, every day it's like, oh, well, we hope we have enough to get through the day. So you may want to conserve your, <laughs> you may want to shut down everything. So, everyone yeah, else will I, have I guess up. we
0: should caution listeners that if this goes down right in the middle of it yes, because we were it's not us. We were yeah,
2: overruled by ERCOT. Well, it could be us by our content. I understand that. That's always yeah. a possibility.
1: Listen, a I just want to it just makes me feel good that on a daily basis I am a good Urkot customer because if there is one thing I do, it's conserve my energy. Yeah. Yeah. What is your
2: thermostat set on? How's that? How's that for a random question? Well, you well, like can get our my set physical on, energy.
0: Ours was set on 70, and it did not get up to 70 in this house until about uh, 6 p.m. last night. So I, maybe that says something about our furnace that we don't have the old heavy duty furnace. Uh, and we have new windows in the house. We just put them in last year. So um,
2: I did don't you know if anybody them? else
0: experienced that.
2: Did you remember to close them?
0: I so, did. They're all okay. closed. Thank you very much. What a Thank scam! You. Windows are. Yeah. Well, I don't know. That's what they tell you that you're going to save all this energy and it'll be really great. I mean, they look better, and that's really all we cared about. <laughs> they look better.
2: All we care about is looks. With the sure. Cowboys too, right? They, well, they look okay.
0: Well, I was going to say that was that was me. I'm just all looks. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. Okay. Well, let's get right to it, boys. What do we say? That that was a a shocking and stunning loss. That was what Dak said in the press conference afterwards, and I I couldn't disagree with any of that. Uh, A shocking and stunning loss. I I did not see that coming uh, a million miles away. I I thought, obviously, there was a chance that they could lose that game, that Jordan Love is playing better. And and who knows? Maybe he ends up being a star. I mean, in his first year as a starting quarterback – he was very good, uh, had a little bit of a slow start, and they got uh, hot. And I'd even read some speculation that the last laugh would be on the uh, Cowboys because from the Eagles' standpoint, they wouldn't have to play the Packers. Of course, the Eagles couldn't beat the Bucks either. So uh, that's a – speaking of uh, coaching futures, Nick Sirianni has to be really facing the same kind of questions that Mike McCarthy is, doesn't he? I mean – that's a that was a, a magnificent collapse by the Eagles over the, of the second half of the season and they had been to a Super Bowl. So, um well, let me just poll y'all on that. Who's in bigger trouble right now, Nick Sirianni or Mike McCarthy? When
1: did the or, Eagles last go to the Super Bowl?
0: <laughs> before before the last one, you mean? It's yeah. not answering yeah, the question. Yeah, they have had I think I was the to your boards. question
1: right there, Kevin.
0: I don't know. I, I just think it also there's a lot of all greater, right? Well, I think when you look at what's going on inside there. When you see all the finger pointing going on with the Eagles. You didn't see any of that with the Cowboys, right? Everybody rallied Cowboys around. were in
1: complete unison on their collapse. Yes,
0: they were. Everybody, everybody took uh, the blame and and nobody. Everybody was chipped right in. him. Yeah, they did. Well, that's
2: exactly right. It was true complimentary football that we've heard so much about in that playoff game.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't, they didn't see as big a collapse on special teams uh, as the rest, but uh, yeah, that was that was pretty bad all the way around. Uh, so let's just get right into it. So with the Cowboys right now at this point, uh, David, uh, there have been no moves made this week. Uh, let's compare situations when uh, Jason Garrett was fired. That was a couple of weeks. Uh, after the season was actually over. He kept showing up for work. Yeah. Uh, it was very bizarre. kind Squatters of Squatter's rights. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was all very bizarre. It was hard to tell. We, we knew that, that, that how much uh, Jerry Jones liked Jason Garrett personally. Uh, and we knew that he had long said that he hoped to make Jason Garrett his Tom Landry. And ultimately, he did make him his Tom Landry. He fired Landry, and he and he fired Jason Garrett too. Oh, hardy uh, har har! But yeah. yeah, I mean, Jason
1: should have taken kind of a clue when they were—he showed up for work and they were removing the plaque from in front of his office, right? The,
2: <laughs> Probably over his parking
0: place. <laughs> yeah, all the whole the whole thing. Uh, so that was that took two weeks. This time, David, you believe that if Jerry is going to make a move, it's going to have to happen sooner than that, just because of the market of coaches uh, at the
2: moment. Well, yeah, the dynamics are, are different. One, in, in Jason Garrett, it was very clear it was coming to that ending, right? The, the season led up to that moment. Uh, the inability to sustain winning years back-to-back had caught up with him. Um, th- there was a sense of inevitability that began during the season that that move was going to be made. This decision's been dropped in their lap out of the blue. No one in that organization was giving any thought to moving on from Mike McCarthy. Uh, in-, in fact, there was only there was only one scenario that would trigger the potential nuclear option. And that was to be non-competitive at home against an inferior opponent, and that happened. So this is that that's that's dynamic is much different. This is an unexpected uh, discussion that is being had right now at the star. And two, uh, because it's unexpected, because it's later, you haven't done due diligence as far as putting anything in place to move on to the next candidate, and now suddenly you have more job openings than you had that year that they moved on from Jason Garrett, Uh, more competition uh, at the top to get the top guys. And if you don't thrust your, if you decide to move on, if you don't thrust yourself into that within the next 48 uh, hours, 48 to 72 hours, you're going to just be left and not have the prime candidates to even discuss. So, that's why I say this is going to – this is an unexpected decision, but now that it's here, it has to be made quickly in my
1: mind. I would, count, I would counter one element there, David. And, I mean, I, I, sure. I'm, not, I'm not questioning your take uh, except for this, right? I mean, with three weeks left in the season, it was entirely possible the Cowboys were looking at the number five seed. Um, and we know what their playoff record has been on the road. And we know what, what their playoff – their long-term playoff situation has been um i would think that Jerry and Steven were at least saying well if we have a first round exit do we do we consider this now everything then changed back to get them the number 2 seed and what we all thought was going to be i don't want to say an easy playoff win but what we thought was a favorable playoff win but but i, I do think that it's not been I, I don't know what the right way to say it is. I wouldn't say it's been all roses all 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 year.
2: No, no. I I would say but but there's a difference in discussing and acknowledging a scenario may present itself versus actively preparing for that scenario to be in place, right? I mean certainly uh it's it's the job of, of management and ownership to go, okay, if this thing goes unexpectedly bad. What what are we looking at here? What are the options? But that's just so you're not caught completely unprepared. I don't know that you actually launch and do all of your due diligence, because once you get to that stage, you've kind of announced your intentions, right? I think there's an, their intention was to come back with this and to keep it going at least one more year. Now I don't I don't know. To me, to me the conversation has moved from. Okay, what does Mike McCarthy have to do in order for us to give him an extension so he's not a lame duck next year? To now, well, should he come back or do we need to make a move now? So that's a that's a much different the starting point of that conversation is so different. I, I think that's uh, that's where the the Jones family is right now.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> to me, that's the the issue here is that. Uh Look, Jerry Jones, uh, his inclination is going to be to keep him, you know, uh, because of the success that he's had in the regular seasons, because of the fact that Dak Prescott uh,
2: had his best season, you could say, yes. uh, with Mike McCarthy as the play caller. What was one uh, of his main charges was, again, this is oh an oversimplification, but to just put it crudely and quickly, it was to fix Dak. That certainly appeared to happen during the regular season. Now, it did not happen in the playoff game, which leads to questions about Dax Feature, which I'm sure we'll explore here uh, as this podcast and conversation goes along. But, um, yeah, I mean, what the charge was, by and large, Mike McCarthy checked all the boxes, but the box that he was hired to check, which was to get this team back to the NFC Championship game and or Super Bowl, will now, for the fourth year of his tenure, not be realized. Yeah, and see, t- to me, this is going to be the real
0: issue for Jerry, because as we know, he's a bottom line guy. Uh, obviously, Jerry, you know, uh, wants to win. We all know that he wants to win. He wants to win just to show that he could do it without Jimmy. He, that's been a, his his lifelong pursuit here since Jimmy walked out the door was to uh, win a Super Bowl without him to show that, you know, that I sh- should have gotten more credit than you gave me when you were uh, going out the door uh we know that's true we also know it's true for all the people who would write me and say all he cares about is making money well winning makes money you know and so you should understand then that if that's all you think he wants uh which obviously it's more than that he'd want to win just so he can make more money uh so those are real issues for for jerry and to me going into this next season. I still think that they could go to a Super Bowl with Mike McCarthy as the as the head coach. I still think they could go to a Super Bowl with uh, Dak Prescott as the quarterback. Uh, history shows that these kind of things can happen. Uh, but can you
2: sell that to the fan base? That's exactly right. That's the question yeah. Jerry has to. That and that is a big part of Jerry's decision. What can I sell to a frustrated and bruised fan base? But what is just, this
1: fan base going to do? What what action would this fan base take? It's not like people are not going to go to Cowboy games. They
0: might
1: not. Um, I mean, when I has that know. ever happen?
0: Did that happen well, in 1988 it, it before? Absolutely, it's happened before. The, the the numbers have gone down. So yeah, I, I think that if Jerry feels like this is going to be, if it's going to be an ongoing discussion in, in the media every week with with fans, with people complaining and saying, "I don't care how good they are during the regular season," you know, we said that going into this year, you know, that people didn't care. How much how many games they won in a regular season, it's only going to matter how far they go in the playoffs. Well, they, they did exactly what people were were thinking all along. This is what's going to happen. They're just going to get in the playoffs and fall on their faces. And that's exactly what happened. They did it in spectacular fashion. As as David alluded to earlier, had they lost, you know, 31 to 30 and on a last minute play of the Packers, well, that would have been bad, but it wouldn't have been awful. I mean, when you're down 27 or nothing in that game, uh, that's just spectacularly bad. I mean, I don't know that you could have scripted a worse, uh, you know, kind of, of development of a game than, than for
2: that. It was just at unbelievable. Home.
0: I at
2: home. At home. Yes, Against absolutely. At home. the youngest team in the league with a quarterback making his first postseason appearance, and you're down 27-0 in a stadium where you've won 16 straight. There's no
1: question about any of this, right? It was all, it was all doomsday um, scenarios that, that people never even considered, uh, except for perhaps the most callous of cowboy fans. But the bottom line remains, and we can get into the. I'm sure we'll get into the coaching situation in a minute. The bottom line remains: I'm not so sure that there will be repercussions in the fan, in the fan base that uh, Jerry's going to have to do a better job of selling tickets or anything like that. I I think people are still going to show, and people are still – it does not matter whether they bring Mike McCarthy in here, whether they bring Bill Belichick in here, whether they bring Jim Harbaugh in here. The questions are still going to be after what will be a 28th year, right, until the Cowboys prove that they can get back to an NFC championship game that's going to be what 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 matters. It's going to be yeah, they beat so and so this week, but can they get back to a championship game? And, and so I don't think that anything is going to change, regardless of who the coach is. And I don't think you're going to see people not showing up at AT T Stadium.
0: Well, I guess we should just fold this whole thing up then, huh, Evan.
1: No, I just think that you make you make the decision that's in the best interest of the football team and not what you have to sell to fans. When that's do you right think right. that
0: Jerry Jones has made the decision in the best interest of the football team? If he were doing that, he would not be the general manager of the football team. Well, Being and that, you have to you have to think about this the way Jerry thinks about it. You know, you, I, you I don't think, think that's it possible. A reasonable person thinks you had this is what Jerry thinks is going to work, and I think that he feels like I I can't. If it gets to the point where he thinks I cannot reasonably make the argument anymore with anybody that we're going to go somewhere if uh, because of what happened in that game. You know, I, I think it's uh, and David, you you were we were talking about this earlier uh, in, before the show started.
2: Probably what a 60, 40 percent chance that Mike McCarthy returns. This is all about options and everything we just talked about here, right? and um by and large i i do agree with evan i i don't think you're going to see an erosion of this fan base the the, the cowboys have have reached the stage where they're too big to fail and their actual competitive relevance does not always matter in that equation the way it does with other teams i've you know i've maintained for a, a decade that the cowboys are the kardashians of the nfl that some people will just tune in just to watch. And it's not about whether they win or lose. It's the show and, the, and everything that uh, you know revolves around them. Um, they love
1: the fabulous train wreck.
2: Yeah, and, th- and that's not going to change. That's there. So now you get into, um, unless you're convinced one of these coaches can do a better job with Dak Prescott than what uh, Mike McCarthy has done, if you are going to move forward with Dak Prescott, and we can talk about that in a little bit, while I think that is a legitimate discussion to have, contractually, you're still probably going to have to extend him here to get you money to build a team and fill out the roster around him this coming year, uh, unless you're just going to cut on and completely cut down and completely rebuild. And is that viable after three straight 12-5 and five seasons for the first time since the 90s? Um I just think once – the the farther we get from the emotion of this, Jerry Jones didn't intend or didn't want to move on from Mike McCarthy after this season, has liked what he's put in place here and the strides he has made. So now you get into how much weight do you give – there was nothing that built up to this, right? There's nothing about this that would would indicate to you that – there is a structural flaw with how McCarthy's interacting with the team. You know, you mentioned Sirianni earlier. That's a difference there. We've seen some strains and some fissures in that culture, in that locker room over the course of the season. You didn't see anything like that in this Cowboys locker room. It's been a bolt out of the blue. And, you know, even even the people I saw walking around the star yesterday Uh, the day after the game on Monday, there was still a day's look in their eyes. I mean, this caught everyone inside and outside the organization completely, utterly by surprise. So now once you work past that, how much weight do you give that? You can't ignore it, but you can't overreact to it. And do... I, I just think once they get through all of that, that there's a chance that Jerry Jones will say, look, he has one year left, Dak has one year left, I know we need to extend him to create some cap room, but let's have these two turn it over to them for one last year, this is your final stand, show me what you have. And if you can't make it work, then we know massive changes are needed in this organization. Um, I, I think that is a viable option or decision that Jerry Jones will reach, which hasn't been discussed a lot to this point. I don't think there's any question that what you're saying
0: is probably what's going to happen. Uh, I would to vote for anything. I, I would say that, that McCarthy will come back. Um uh, he they will not extend him. He will go into it as a lame duck coach uh this year. I don't think they can I don't think they can take Dak as a lame duck quarterback because of the as you said, it's a sixty million. Cap, cap ramification. Yeah,
2: and very quickly, that's uh Dak Prescott, so we just don't be vague with this. Dak Prescott counts fifty nine point four four million against the cap next year. That with the players that they need to re-sign, and already they're over the cap. The projected cap's going to be on just the players they have coming back. And this is, they have 16 free agents. Seven of them are starters, which they want to resign, uh, you know, a good chunk of. So they will, they need to restructure DAC. And this is how the contract was always set up in order to get the room to fill out the rest of the roster. Now you still need to do that. But here's the question with Dak Prescott, after what we saw, how he performed against Green Bay, when you look at his postseason record, which is now 2-5, and when you look at his performances in those games, he has now lost two straight playoff games to Brock Purdy and Jordan Love, so this whole argument of he's one of the better quarterbacks in the NFC... Well, he just lost to two of the younger quarterbacks in the NFC playoffs in each of the last two years. In fact, two guys who were making their first appearance in the playoffs. Uh, how much longer do you want to tie your fortunes to Dak Prescott? And is he worth a, a guaranteed $200 million going forward? Is that what the extension's going to be? Are you going to tie your franchise to him? Because we can talk about the head coach all you want. Uh, this is Dak's performance has complicated this whole discussion because can Jerry Jones, after what he's seen of Dak in the postseason, confidently say this is the quarterback we want to tie our fortunes to, not just for the upcoming season, but for the next five years, which in essence is what you're going to do with an extension, a big money extension. Or do you do like you did the last time, (laughs) string it along, give another year or two to make the decision and not commit. It's 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 look, Dak is the biggest question they have. We're talking about head coach because it needs to be resolved this week. How they resolve Dak Prescott is the biggest question they have going forward, and this is the crossroads. Are they going to continue to latch their playoff fortunes to him or after 8 years are they going to say can we really expect a different result or performance based off of what we've seen from the first eight years, or do we start to need to pave the bridge for the transition? Well, David, since you kind of uh, jumped the, the,
0: the cart there, uh, let's go ahead and talk about that. And with Dak Prescott, because I have to tell you after the game, um, uh, Sunday night, I thought that he was as uh, open and as honest as I've ever seen him be about his play, um, you know, Dax a, a good guy, and, and always, you know, is does the always very accountable. Yeah, always very accountable. But I thought in that game that when he when he talked about the fact that, uh, and I think this is what happened, and what we've seen what we've seen happen with Dak at times is that he just get he got so amped up in that game that he said, "My mind is racing faster than than what I'm, I'm trying to do here." and I was getting out ahead of some of the throws. Uh, and now, something else that also came up in that game that I thought was troublesome, uh, David, was that in, we saw this on television. Uh, after the very first series, uh, Mike McCarthy's talking to C.D. Lamb. Dak's talking to C.D. Lamb. C.D.'s langu- body language was terrible in that game. Uh, and there were times when Dak was not right on with him, but uh, CD's walking back to the huddle, shaking his head. Um, that's not the body language you want of a guy who's supposed to be your leading receiver. And I felt in a lot of ways, I, I, I think, you know, Mike uh, conceded after the game, well, we were flat, you know, we didn't have much energy. And, and I think that, that probably is so. Uh, but I also think when you see your, your quarterback and your number one offensive weapon clearly uh, not on the same page here to start the game. And with the receiver clearly acting like, well, I don't know, man. Uh, It's like, this is not on me. I don't know what's going on. Uh, It was just sending such a terrible message to the rest of the team. So um, I think that was something that needed to be resolved is exactly what was that issue there. But to my first point about Dak, the fact that he talked about that so openly and about how poorly he played A 30 year old quarterback um, playing like he was, you know, a rookie, you know, getting outplayed by a first year starter, as you pointed out, a first year uh, starter last year with Brock Purdy. Uh, That, these aren't good things. I've said all along, you know, you you know, you, you can't get rid of a quarterback, you can't quit a quarterback until you have another one. Trey Lance is not the guy to carry the Cowboys into the playoffs next
2: they year. They don't have another one. And that's that complicates this discussion right now. So, but but do you commit to him for another four to five years financially because you don't have one? Or do you say, look, let's start, let's get somebody in, you know, this year we can develop, let's start. Trying to see if we can build a pipeline here, and let's just let's make it shorter term. Let's go more temporary here. Let's put more pressure on Dak and see how he handles that, and and if he doesn't, then we'll move on. I mean, to me, that's that's where the discussion is right now with with Dak Prescott, and and you know, I, I found it, you know, everything you said, I found it very interesting and telling. Um, again, and Dak said, you know, I sucked, <laughs> but you know, it's interesting because because going into this game. Dak also acknowledged what a lot of fans, I think, get frustrated with on Dak, where he'll have these bad games and he'll talk about learning from them and, you know, moving on all this. Before the game, he said, you know, look, this isn't about learning anymore. This isn't about, uh, you know, you've got to win and move on here. You're either good enough or you aren't. And that was what his thinking was going into the game. Now he knows he's not good enough, so how does he handle that? And, and I thought the, the most interesting reaction from him was when he was asked, how do you explain having the regular season success you've had and not being able to translate that into your postseason performance? And he fumbled for words, paused for four seconds, gave an answer, and then he paused for another five seconds before he completed his thought. So to me, that question really, he knows that is there. How can you do all this preparation and build yourself up to this point in the regular season, and it just evaporates in the postseason? And we've seen this enough times to where you have to ask yourself why that's happening and what can you do to make sure it doesn't. I think in some ways, you know, people talk about choking, but there are different reasons you choke, right? And I just wonder if Dak is so conscientious and so aware of his obligation and what his performance means to team success and his teammates that that sense of obligation smothers him at times, you know, it's not the moment itself. It's like, Oh, I can't let all these other people down other than look, I just got to go out there and play and let the chips fall where they may, you know, that's a, that's a fine line there. But, but, uh, um, I mean, you're, you're kind of groping for reasons why, right? Because I mean, you have seen a pattern emerge. Well, I don't think there's any question. I think he, he
0: does, he wants it so bad that he's not able to, uh, to, to just sink into the role, be calm and play the game. Uh, I, I do think that's a, that's the issue I, I don't ever think that Dak feels like, Oh my gosh, choking to me is I, I, I can't do this. Ch- you know, choking is that uh, these, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of this, the team I'm playing. I don't think any of those things apply to Dak. I think that he, no. he just gets into the moment so much and doesn't really know how to deal with it. Uh, and, and, and I think it's a legitimate issue to bring up about why you believe in him going forward. What's going to change that? Because exactly, he's, yeah. he's played one good playoff game, and that was against Tampa Bay last year. Uh, the rest of the time, it's, it's he's either lost or it's just been a very average performance. So um, I think there's real questions about that. All right, before we get out of this cowboy segment, though, I want us to make an argument. David has made his case for Mike McCarthy returning. Uh, I think that's pretty clear, and I do think that's probably the way to go. Uh, Evan? Uh, if you were going to make a change at, quarter, uh, at quarterback, if you're going to make a change at head coach, who would your head coach be?
1: I'm not sure that the head coach situation alone is what solves this team's ills. I I, I think that um, my experience in the last year tends me to, to look at culture. And I do think culture starts at the very top and that's a Jerry Jones discussion. And that's something that we could say for another day, because we've only been having it for the last 30 years, but
0: if you were going to make a change. Um, well, let me just interject you- here. The coach, it, it was a, a change at the top that made the difference for the Rangers. They don't win a World Series uh, without the new manager. Kevin? Yeah? That's what I'm getting
1: at. Well, you just said you're not sure that it, if it makes a difference. No, Did he steal I, his I thunder? Kevin, can, can we go back on this a minute? Because I was going to get to the point that, like, Jerry is the GM, and the GM here is Chris Young, and he set the culture by bringing in Bruce Bochy, a four, a three-time World Series winner. And there is a guy out there who's got multiple world championships. I'm not sure if at 72 years old, Bill Belichick is, is still at the top of his game or not. And I think it's easy to say, okay, he's, he's old, the game has passed him by. And those are things that you heard about Bruce Bochy when he retired from the Giants. Um, but I do know that he came in here and he set a standard in that clubhouse. Uh, he worked well with the GM because ultimately a baseball manager is something of a middle manager. I don't know if you would say the same thing about an NFL head coach, but certainly in this case with an owner who's as, who's as uh, involved as Jerry is, that is that is part of the dynamic. But I think if you're going to fix the culture, you start at the highest place that you can. And you certainly can't change the culture at owner or GM. So go for the guy who's got a championship culture. And and Bill Belichick is, is that guy. He is the one guy out there who's a proven winner. The only thing that I get to... On the negative side of this is, haven't we been down this road already with the Cowboys in the Bill Parcells experience, and that didn't turn out well. So I don't know that it's the answer, but I think if I'm going, if I was going to make a change, that's the direction I'd go in.
0: Evan, yeah, I'm sorry I cut you off on that. Uh, that's and, okay. The uh,
1: cat's very upset about this.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so my pitch would be, if you're going to make a change at uh, a head coach is Mike Vrabel uh, with the Tennessee Titans who was fired, uh, and it was fired by the daughter of Bud Adams. So obviously it's in, uh, in the genes there, uh, <laughs> that they do, they make stupid coaching decisions. I grew up in Houston with just a slew of stupid coaching decisions and hires and fires by Bud Adams when he owned the orders. Um, Mike Vrabel comes from the Bill Belichick uh, uh, tree, right? He played for him with the Patriots, a very tough linebacker. Uh, he, he carried that into his role as a head coach. I don't know, you know enough about you know the culture that that uh, Mike had with the Titans, uh, but I do know that uh, one he got to the AFC Championship game without a quarterback. They they've never had a quarterback with the Titans. They've had they've had guys that were okay. Uh, but they, they didn't have what you would consider a Super Bowl quarterback, and yet he was able to win and won a lot. Now, he's coming off two losing seasons, but he's just had very little to work with there. I think that he's highly respected. And, and I think the one thing that I would would want Mike Grable to bring, or which I think he would bring, is some toughness to the Cowboys. I just don't think they're a very mentally tough team. Uh, I, I I know what Mike McCarthy has done for this organization and, and and I think those were all good things, but I don't know that there's a level of accountability there with that group. Uh, we saw them this year cut down on the penalties, and that was and that was obviously very key. But uh, sometimes I feel like with that team that there's there's not anybody. I know the culture has changed since Jimmy Johnson was a coach, right? When Jimmy was there. You know, we had the asthma field. We had all the, the kind of things that, that that were supposed to make these guys tough and what everybody expects. Uh, the, the world has changed a lot since then. Uh, football players have changed a lot since then. You you can't be a tough guy all the time. But you can be tougher, I think, than what Mike McCarthy has, uh, the culture he's created with the Cowboys. You can I you
1: think- can demand more accountability. I think you're, you're. it's a great point about the penalties. Even though it was cut down somewhat this year, they still led
2: the league in penalties, did they not, uh, David? What What was the Cowboys? Yeah, I believe they did. Yeah, they yeah. were right but, up. If not, if not, I mean, they were in the top two to three. And I, I mean, I
1: think that's
0: a great point about it, Kevin. It's not so much tough toughness; it's accountability. Well, it's just uh, the, the, to me that is isn't the toughness. So it's like uh, if I make this mistake, I'm going to be in real trouble here. You know, I I want to I, I want players knowing that. And I don't know that they know that with the Cowboys. It's just too many, too many stupid things. You know as it, it, great a player as DeMarcus Lawrence is, and certainly one of the most accountable players on that team, you know, early in the game when the, the crowds all revved up and they're making a lot of noise and trying to, to, to destroy, you know uh, you know, the Packers momentum at that point, who's the guy that jumps DeMarcus Lawrence, he gets called for the penalty and gets it go from the six yard line to the three. It's like, come on. I mean, even the best players are making these kind of mistakes. And so uh, I, I do think, you know, off as well, there are, there are other things that have to happen on this team. I, I think that we haven't really discussed the fact that Dan Quinn is going to be leaving, right? Uh, we think uh, he's was supposed to be up for like,
2: he's interviewing for what, five jobs, David? Five jobs this week. He has five virtual interviews set up starting tomorrow. Boy, talk about bad timing. How would you like to, to sell that game? The last bullet point on your uh, resume is not the strongest to go into these conversations. No, it's
0: not. And you know, to me, I, I, you can't, you can't go forward anymore. And we probably didn't discuss this enough this year. Again, this was forty-eight points. <laughs> yes, I mean, you, you can't, you can't go forward on anymore the road. Yeah. with this kind of of uh, defense, where if they're not getting to the quarterback, they have problems. You know, uh, Marquise Bell is a two hundred five pound safety playing linebacker and he got
2: abused in that game uh, by Aaron Jones. Well, they weren't dying tack- the whole time too much at the, at the end of the season, and you saw it throughout December, and teams started exploiting that. You know, the, Quickly to your numbers, though, and I thought Dallas was doing a better job early in the year where they were still doing some things defensively to help you win games when they weren't forcing turnovers. But you look at this at the end of the year, and this counts the playoff game, Dallas was 0-5 this year when it didn't force a turnover, and it didn't force a turnover against Green Bay. And the Packers was the first game all season where they did not get a sack. So in the biggest game of the season, the defense, which, which everyone was saying was the strength of the team going into the season, failed them colossally. Oh, absolutely! A bigger
0: uh, because in the end, that piled up 400 yards passing, right? And so, uh,
2: you know, yeah, but they never had a chance because they were trading touchdowns. I yeah, mean, absolutely, absolutely. You, you come it's, back it's, out, you're down 27-0, and how does the defense respond to start the second half? They let the Packers score touchdowns on their first three possessions of the second half after being down 27-0.
0: Oh, yeah, it's, absolutely. No, yeah. no question about it. The defense failed them in this game uh, monumentally, and and that and that's my point is that. I I, ha- I guess I have a little bit of a problem. If you're not, you know, getting to the quarterback, if you're not, you know, getting a, a, a interception or a fumble, then you're not winning games. Uh, if it's really a good defense, you should be just be able to stop people. You know, uh, in that on that on the Packers' first drive, they didn't face a third down until Aaron yeah. Jones ran in for the touchdown. That, you yeah, know? that was their first third down on that opening drive. Yeah. It, 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 just, it was just unbelievable. You just, and, and that was kind of a, a theme for the Cowboys throughout the season. To me, they always start slow. Other uh, team was would always score first or you, or you score on one of his first drives. And then they would kind of tighten the screws after that and make some nice adjustments. And I'm not saying that Dan Quinn's not a great defensive coordinator. I just wonder, you know, uh, in, in that game, they schemed a lot of things to make the Cowboys look really bad you know that that one pass jordan love threw for the touchdown it looked like a punt you know and and by, and it took a, a ball thrown that high for players 30 yards away running trying to catch up with that player how does a player get turned that loose i i don't understand yeah. it you know that was an embarrassment to watch the the that defense play against the packers so i I, do, I really do feel like they're going to have to go out and get a really good linebacker you know uh, Leighton Van Rish I think is probably done Uh and I, I don't know if they can count on him to be that uh, but I thought they really missed him when he was gone they're going to find a linebacker with some signs who can run Uh and and those things are not easy to find these days a guy who can cover and do the kind of things that you want him to do which is why they had a hybrid there in Marquise Bell in the first place but they just got abused uh, uh because of that and I think that teams will just do that uh, from sure. here on out. They'll they need more size they...
2: next year through free agency in the draft. They've got to get, they've got to get, you know, again, and we talked about this earlier and that's why you were, you know, you were making a big push for the Tennessee linebacker while they needed him in here. And you saw that as December played out why they needed that size. But, you know, Overshong their third round pick, was going to really play more of the J. Ron Kirsch role. Give them a little bigger a true linebacker so they can be in that fusion dime that's still a nickel you know that you can't exploit but still gives you some coverage and then late van der Esch goes out who was playing at a very high level so now you know and they carried fewer linebackers because of all their pass rushers in that rotation up front and the coverage guys you need in the back especially after you know you lose digs early so they just got caught in a numbers game and and you could attack them up the middle at linebacker and teams began to exploit that. And we saw it, especially in December, they know what they need to address there. And I, I hate to say it's a minor fix, but, but it is, you can get some more size in there and you can, this dime, you can do it with more true linebackers than just the safeties. But, but the issue became the safeties were the most talented players. And so they needed them on the field.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's no question about that. Well, there's an awful lot to talk about with the Cowboys who we can't, We've already done that for like, what, an hour and a half, it seems like. Uh, so uh, we're going to have to move on here and uh, and talk about the Rangers. And specifically, we're going to talk about a former Ranger here, Adrian Beltre, who's on the on the Hall of Fame ballot. Um, so, uh, Evan, first of all, like tell us, uh, did you vote for Adrian Beltre for the Hall of Fame?
1: Um, it really, that shouldn't even have to be a question, um, but... Given the, the, the voting body, yeah, it, I did. Um, I believe that thanks to Ryan Thibodeau, a man with a very strange hobby in California, uh, we've got, uh, I think it's about 160 ballots that have been publicly released ahead of the uh, announcement next Tuesday. And Bill has been named on, as of last night, he had been named on all but two of them. Yeah. Um, both, both, oddly enough, from Boston-area writers who covered him for a year that um, was a spectacular year for Beltre. It was the 2010 season, and he kind of reestablished himself then and then came to the Rangers and and really, in the second half of his career, turned himself into a Hall of Famer. But at this point, he's got he's been named on 162 of 164 ballots that are known, a 98.8% rate. If he were to maintain that all the way through the remainder of the ballots, it would be one of the five highest percentages of all time, the highest percentage by a Dominican player, and the highest percentage by a third baseman. So, um... There's a lot here that Adrian can can still accomplish, and to focus on two guys who didn't vote for him um, seems a little bit silly. But that's just kind of how we we always end up talking about the Hall of Fame ballot is we focus on the two the two or three guys who didn't vote for a sure Hall of Famer rather than the 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 what the the player accomplished. And listen, if there's anything that I could tell you about Adrian Beltre, the more and more I consider him and his legacy, and, and the farther you get out from it, uh, the more I, I, I just feel like all he's going to do is, is elevate the Hall of Fame Museum. Um, there's very few players who brought the, the, the combination of talent, intensity, respect for the game, passion and toughness the way adrian did
0: yeah um i, I gotta tell you though uh, evan uh i think we should barbecue the two guys uh frankly so you know i, no, I don't want to put that out there because people are so crazy now on social media but look if you can't vote for adrian beltrot you can't at least put him on your ballot holy cow Uh, Obviously, it's all about because you don't you don't think a guy should go in on his first year, and that's such a a worn out old argument uh, about that. This is a guy who had more than three thousand hits, which are just a handful of guys like that. Four hundred seventy-seven home runs. There's not very many people who had that many home runs. And what one? How many Gold Gloves? Six, five, five, six. Five gold gloves,
1: and so you take the three, four, five thing, Kevin. Right, take the three, four, five thing. A guy with a with with three thousand career hits, four hundred career home runs, and at least five gold gloves. There's four of them in history: Beltray, Dave Winfield, Carl Yastrzemski, and Willie Mays. It is it is an elite group, and those are all first ballot Hall of Famers. And there's no precedent under which you could say that Adrian Beltray doesn't deserve Hall of Fame. Entry. I will say this, and i want to to get back to your point. Bill Ballou, one of the who who kind of comes across as the old Pepperidge Farm uh, cookie salesman, a New Englander, kind of a cranky New Englander, basically said, "Would Adrian Beltre?" He said on a podcast yesterday, "Would Adrian Beltre diminish the Hall of Fame of the Ted Williams and Henry Aaron's?" He said. Yes, he would. And and again, my whole answer to that is, if anything, Adrian elevates the Hall of Fame experience. And I want to get into that in a minute. But but go ahead with where you were going. Well, I
0: think that's just such a ludicrous argument to make. I, just ludicrous. Because, look, here's the other situation with it. We know that there are just a handful of third basemen in the Hall of Fame. You Fewest know. of
1: any position. And I talked to two, probably the two greatest living third basemen earlier or last week. And we can talk about that as well.
0: Yes, yeah, so you talked to Mike Schmidt and George Brett uh, and, and, and got what, the, what their argument was for uh, for Adrian as well. And and I would put Adrian right up there with both of those guys. Uh, to me, you know, and then we talk about, you know, Brooks Robinson being one of the others, obviously a, a great fielding third baseman, not a great hitter, but a great fielding third baseman. Um, and, you know, it was so difficult – to get everything you want out of that, of that position, you know, it's it's feel. You want a guy who can feel, You want a guy with with power, you know. And then when you consider the fact that that Adrian hit well, you know, with over three thousand hits, uh, and then I don't know that I ever saw a third baseman uh, play a bunt uh, better than he did. Uh, you know, just an unbelievable uh, ability to come in and make that throw. It was just uncanny how often he made it and how well he made it. Uh, and not
1: just like, like for, for say for Ed, for the sake of the record not just bunts, like any
0: kind of ball rolling ground he has to come in balls
1: them. as well as anybody i've ever seen at that position for as long longer period of time
0: yes to make that throw barehanded and then and to make it uh just unbelievable and then you know to be a great teammate as well there' was nothing about Adrian that uh that didn't make you think this guy deserves it uh so uh, I I think that it's a it's a silly argument to make when you're talking about tarnishing stuff, you know, especially if you're going to say Ted Williams and Hank Aaron, who are, you know, two of the top 10 players of all time. So we're going to hold everybody to that standard. Then, you know, we're not going to put anybody in the Hall of Fame. then if we're going to do that, uh, but that's, remember
1: that's, also that yeah. neither Ted Williams nor Hank Aaron got 100 percent of the vote when they went in. Um, and and so I do think that voters these days um are more, are more, the, the majority of voters these days are more welcoming and people all think that the hundred percent argument is foolish, um, that nobody got in that. Well, until Mariano Rivera, nobody got a hundred percent of the vote and nobody ever will again. I think most voters are like, if this guy's a hall of famer, he's a hall of famer. And I'm going to vote for him. There's no, there's no precedent that I have to uphold. I'm, I'm not guardian of baseball. Um, but, yeah, it's foolish, and I think it's a little bit embarrassing. But I will just say that I mean, in any electoral body, you're going to have outliers. I just I feel like guys now are trying to jump through hoops to defend this ballot, and there is no defense of this ballot. He is a Hall of Famer, the best to ever play the position. Say he is. I've got a story coming this week from from two. The elder two statesmen of the Dominican baseball movement, Felipe Alou and Manny Mota, who both had, you know, long interactions with Adrian and say he's as great a representative to play to to represent the country as as anybody. And, you know, Kevin, there's when you walk into the Hall of Fame, when you walk into the plaque gallery, which is really what the Hall of Fame is. The rest of it is the museum. But in that in the front of that plaque gallery, there is a statue, a, a sculpture there of Jackie Robinson, Lou Gehrig, and Roberto Clemente, three of the most distinguished men to ever play the game, Um, one who broke the race barrier, one who really kind of opened the door for, for the Latin superstar, and obviously Lou Gehrig, who was considered a great humanitarian and taken far before his time. But I would subject that if they were going to add a representative from the Dominican to that statue, to that sculpture, Adrian would be as worthwhile as anybody certainly Albert Pujols is is going to be considered the the greatest hitter to ever come from the Dominican but what Adrian did all around and how he was respected he's he's certainly in the in the conversation for the best to ever
0: come from the Dominican all right so let, let's uh, remind readers of what uh, you discussed with uh, George Brett and Mike Schmidt Well,
1: I, you know, we, we talked about the rarity of the position and, you know, but neither of those guys really wanted to tout tout their own horn about how difficult the position is, but I think we, you, you hit it, right. It's hard to find a guy who's got the athleticism to make plays like a shortstop and who's got power um, and who's got arm strength that doesn't wane. Um, and, And so that was one thing I think they talked about that. There is some pride in, in the fact that there are so few and, you know, Brett told me a story that when he was in, inducted, he got Brooks Robinson and Schmidt, and they took a picture together because basically it was that was the the triumvirate of third baseman. And and every year since, when they've gone back, and there have been a few more third baseman inducted, they've taken the same portrait. You know, this one little group shot. Uh, and he's he's very eager to have Adrian uh, take that shot with them this year. They're also very eager to hear Adrian's speech. Both of them said that because they feel like this is a guy who really valued playing the game and valued everything about the game. And they expect that he will ag- express the same exuberance uh, for joining the Hall of Fame and, and passion in his speech that, uh, that that he did in his play. And I will say that when I talked to Felipe Alou, um, he said he made a trip with Adrian to a UNESCO site in in Paris, which I think Adrian went to partly just for the wine but that's another story. Um, but he said, you know, I, he was with Beltray at this speech at the UNESCO at the UNESCO event in uh, in Paris. And Adrian's speech about baseball to to this group that they were trying to, you know, introduce to baseball was just astonishing. So I think it's going to be a great moment for baseball, a great celebration for Adrian Beltre to go
0: into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, me too. You know, I have to say I, I keep going back to when the Rangers. Signed him, and we, we've talked about that before, uh, about how they did not were not able to re-sign Cliff Lee, uh, and and so that John Daniels turned his direction towards Adrian Beltre. And I can remember the the reaction from fans, the local media, and everything was kind of like, yeah, okay, sure, all right. Uh, there was not, also this
1: narrative at the time that Beltre was just a contract year player because he had had that huge year for the Dodgers in 2004 before signing with Seattle, didn't put up great numbers offensively in Seattle. Went to Boston on that one-year deal, put up huge numbers. So there was that narrative, and people were wrong. They were just flat out wrong. Among them, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean that that was the thing about him when he when he got here, because you know I didn't know anything about him personally, what he was like, and and uh, and then he gets here and he turns out to be a great guy and and uh, played great baseball. And it's like, what was the what was the problem here? This is the greatest free agent signing, you know. Look. You can talk about the Nolan Ryan thing all you want to and about what he meant to the organization and the credibility and all that kind of stuff. He did not perform on the field like Adrian Beltre did. Uh, I I think that Adrian made his Hall of Fame case basically with the Rangers. A hundred
1: percent.
0: Yeah, there there were other guys, you know, uh, Fergie Jenkins and Gaylord Perry and other guys who were who became Hall of Famers, but not for what they did with the Rangers.
1: Uh, no, the only and, and one that, that is, for that matter. is, is yeah. Pudge Rodriguez, and Adrian will be the second.
0: Yes. And so uh, uh, he was a, a tremendous player and, is a, and was, a, was a great guy. And, you know, one of the most amazing things about uh, Adrian uh, for me, besides his play, was the fact that he spoke English so fast, you know, uh, one of my problems in, in, you know, I took Spanish in college and, and you know, like it, it was useless. I, I can't, you know, I just, you know, Spanish speakers are, who are very fluent in it, speaking it so fast, I just can't keep up with it. Adrian speaks English so fast. Uh, I, I couldn't believe that as, as his second language, he could do that so well. Uh, it just always floored me. It made me feel really stupid when I was standing around him and he was talking about stuff. I, I thought, you know. I, I would just give him. I gave him the Hall of Fame just for that.
1: Sorry, he made me feel stupid on a daily basis, but that was part of the shtick, and and it was it was fun. It was, um, you know, there are certain people that you get to cover over the course of a long career that that just made the job fun, and Adrian did because he had he had a sharp wit, he was honest, um, you know. I, I think that one thing that we we haven't spent a whole lot of time on here is is the toughness. You know that this is. is a guy who played without a cup um this is a guy who played half a season basically with no ligament in his hand this is a guy who you know went out a day after he was in the hospital with a with a bowel obstruction and hit a walk-off home run or a ninth inning home run against the angels and over and over again i talked to john daniels last week about the signing and i talked to him a little bit about adrian's time and they just talked to again that's the thing that jd kept coming back to is just how tough of a, of,
0: of a competitor is, uh, a- Adrian was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the all time best. No question about that. And to me, that just makes it such an easy argument for him in the hall of fame, though. The rest of those guys, he, he, he was right up there with, with Brett and with Schmidt. Uh, I, I he's I one of the top five third
1: baseman of all time and all five of them are, are, are no doubt hall of famers. End of story.
2: Yeah. J- just for a quick, rec- how would you rank the top five?
1: I'd probably that that's a that's a really good for question
2: for both of you. I was, I was just wondering because I would probably listen I would probably put
1: Schmidt at the top just because the home run numbers are so much greater than everybody. Um, I might put Adrian second because his power was there, the fielding excellence was there. I'd probably put Brooks third. Because he really, and when we, I was talking with Schmidt the other day, he was like, you know, the, the whole legend of the third baseman really arose with Brooks. There, there, there really wasn't a, a great, great third baseman who could field that position that well um, until Brooks. I'd probably put Brett fourth. Um, and, and for now... I would probably put Arenado fifth, and I think when it's all said and done, Nolan Arenado is going to be a little bit higher up the list. But, but that's where it would be, and 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 Wade Boggs is is probably the odd man out there.
0: Yeah, I don't have any argument with that. I, 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 mean, I love Brooks too. It's just fun to watch him play the position. But if you look at his offensive numbers, they don't—they just really pale in comparison to those other guys. I would put Schmidt number one because of the home runs. Uh, I mean, that's what you're really looking for in that position. It's like first baseman. You know, it's the same thing. You're you're looking for a guy with a lot of pop uh, to play that. That's the the guys who who are the top at that position. It's just at third base, it's so much more difficult because the first baseman all he's got to do is swing the bat. You just just catch the ball, swing the bat. That's all we're asking you to do at third base. we're asking you to do a whole lot more than that. And that's what makes that so much more difficult. And when you get it and get it from that position, it's just such a, a phenomenon.
1: Brooks was always, and the other thing about Brooks, that's it, kind of a intangible, and this is nothing against Schmidt and Brett, both of whom, you know, it was the first long conversation I had with them both. And they, they both sound like, like, like wonderful, wonderful care people. But, Brooks was considered one of the paragons of baseball. Again, just a a, a tremendously involved in the community of genuinely ambassador. nice man. Yeah, an, an ambassador. I got to speak to Brooks one time um, in 2018, Beltre's last year, and even he raved about Adrian Beltre at that point in time and said you can't get any better than who Adrian Beltray is as a player.
0: And, and the guy from Arkansas, too. Uh, yes, he is. like the lovely wife. Uh, All right, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We appreciate you tuning in. Uh, By next time we do this again, uh, we may have a lot better idea about what the Cowboys are going to do, where uh, Mike McCarthy is going to be, and if he's going to be here or not. Uh, So, a lot of decisions for the Cowboys to make. And we'll uh, be able to talk about some of that and uh, maybe a couple other things as well. Spoiler alert. Spoiler
1: alert, we'll never know exactly what the Cowboys are going to do or
0: thinking. Well, yeah, that's, that's a good point. But anyway, we'll get as close as we can get. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time.